0: This is Women Authors of Achievement podcast, episode eighteen, with guest Christina Walker Meyer. Hello, everyone. I'm your host Daria Savorova, and welcome to today's episode. Christina brings over eleven years of experience to her current role as a CEO and CPO at Nuri, previously Bitfala. After the radical rebranding, Nuri stands for the New Reality Banking, where you can invest in Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. Before joining Nuri, Christina worked at N26 and Zalando during their hyper-growth stages. In this episode, we speak about the New Banking Narrative, where banks educate customers on making better financial decisions and guide you on how to invest and save for the future. Join me for today's conversation with Christina Walkermeyer and learn about her unique path to becoming one of the most sought after digital leaders in Germany. And subscribe today on Apple Podcasts and Spotify to receive weekly notifications on the new episode releases. Christina, thank you so much for coming over to the studio and congratulations on the successful relaunch of Bitfala and introducing Nuri to the world.
1: Thank you so much for your invitation. I'm looking very much forward to our conversation. So today I would like to start
0: with the big news, of course. And also in one of your interviews, you said that money's worth is being redefined today, yet it's less tangible. So we need to make it more easily understandable for the customer. I believe that this quote gives a bit of a glimpse into why rebranding happened, uh, but nonetheless, could you tell why you decided for such a radical relaunch?
1: Well, I think we're actually entering a new world of banking um, because we can see there's a new financial system at the horizon, but it maybe has not yet arrived in our you know daily lives because we're still maybe paying our electricity bills through a very traditional bank account. However, when it comes to investment opportunities or opportunities, where do we actually park our money or actually let it grow? I think the traditional opportunities like just become less relevant, right? Because we can see that, for example, um, the interest rates that we get at traditional banks are almost non-existent anymore, However, in the world of blockchain-based banking, um, decentralized finance, there's a lot of new opportunities arising. And um, yeah, I do believe that uh, it's not about like, you know, deciding for one world to go. It's about like bridging those worlds and actually benefit for the relevant use cases in the respective world. And uh, this is what we're doing with Nuri. We're actually building the bridge between the traditional world of finance and the decentralized world of finance or new financial opportunities based on the blockchain. Mm -hmm. However, based uh, on your question, so far, this world feels not accessible for the majority of people at this moment. Uh, And the reason for that is that it is very, very complicated um, to enter that world, to invest in it, to participate. For example, if you want to, I don't know, uh, benefit from lending out your stablecoin, you have to uh, get a MetaMask wallet, you have to convert uh, your Ether into like, you know, stable coins and then like use some liquidity protocols to invest it. And it's actually super, super complicated. And we believe there's a lot of opportunity that should be accessible to everyone. Bitvala back in the days has been uh, one of the first players that made Bitcoin or crypto purchases super easy for everyone. And we just basically doubled down on that and open ourselves even further up. Uh, We want to target uh, and become even more accessible or attractive to a more diverse target group. And we want to make it even easier to now benefit from these new opportunities coming up.
0: NURI's main argument is that consumers' money won't grow in a traditional bank account. Could you also explain a little bit the message behind NURI, which is the new reality banking? Like, what does those wordings stand for?
1: So, yeah, as you just said, like, NURI is kind of an abbreviation for New Reality Banking, uh, because we believe we do enter a new reality now, right? We have basically kept our money in traditional finance for like decades. And now suddenly um, a new financial system is opening up and suddenly everyone can uh, basically choose where to put your money, for what kind of reason. And I think it's easy now to get access to liquidity. It's easy um, to, to generate revenues or, or yields in a new world. And we believe it's, it's a new reality that suddenly not everything uh, regarding your financial management happens in a very centralized way anymore. It happens like somewhere else as well. And um, we do believe also that we're one of the first players that are actually mixing those worlds.
0: When you speak of those worlds, which worlds are we considering right now?
1: Well, the traditional world of finance and the blockchain-based banking, for okay, example. Okay, and you're mixing the two. Mm-hmm. Exactly, because suddenly it becomes accessible in one app that you can basically pay electricity bills from your spendings account. But then at the same time, if you have something left at the end of the month, you can just like invest in cryptocurrencies, or you can even put your money in a Bitcoin interest account, where you even generate up to 4 to 5% of interest every year, which is then paid out on a weekly basis.
0: I would imagine this is partially this third wave of digital banking. If you could explain why Nuri represents this third wave of digital banking, I think that would be very great and helpful also what the first wave and second wave look like.
1: So um, how we define the third wave is like if you start how the whole digital or online banking has started is that traditional banks suddenly had a website and you could do online banking, you know. And uh, that was quite an innovation because suddenly you could sit at home and do a bank transfer that was actually super convenient. However, the user experience of all of that, like if you all remember, was terrible, <laughs> if you're really still honest. <laughs> it still is of traditional banks. Yes, even though they went mobile, um, I still do believe that uh, the user experience well could be improved a little bit. However, then all the neobanks came, you know, the, the Monzos, the Revoluts, the N26s, and suddenly brought this amazing user experience like um to to banking they made banking cool and suddenly everything was accessible in just one app and it didn't matter like you didn't need a computer anymore and suddenly also you had all features and functionality within one app because before you might have used different services and so on it was very painful however those players are still are based on a very traditional banking infrastructure basically on very traditional rails are thus also, to a certain degree, a bit limited uh, in yeah, their financial innovation potential.
0: So it's like the old traditional bank, just very with a very nice, smooth UX design. With that. Yes, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. With, a,
1: with an interface. However, there were a lot of disruptive innovations in that. Like, don't get me wrong, for example, like an account opening process was certainly very easy at home, didn't have to do bank ID anymore, like all these kind of things. So there were a lot of very disruptive innovations in all of that. However, like we see ourselves now as the third wave, basically taking the nice experience and nice interfaces uh, that are already there and what people are probably also used to, and now also start to disrupt from an infrastructure perspective, and thus also um, enabling financial innovation through new technologies such as the blockchain.
0: Could you please explain also how does your customer base have changed or maybe not since Bitvala transformed into Nuri? And also partially, maybe you could touch on who is that customer of that third wave digital banking?
1: So uh, since we only launched Nuri uh, on Wednesday and today is Sunday. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but let's say, well, the, well, let's say that your hopes, like your uh, perspective on what yeah. uh, would be that new customer if... I mean what we can for sure see is um when when Bitwala launched initially right our purpose was always uh, to make it as easy and as accessible as possible for a more mainstream target group that what Bitwala was always about that why for, that's why for example we only had two cryptocurrencies in that 500 just to make it super simple and easy so and what we can see uh, that even specifically in the last year I would say uh, we could see that more and more of those mainstream customers are coming onto our platform so suddenly we were confronted with questions like what is ether i want to buy bitcoin that's what i'm here for but i have no clue what ether is or why do i have to create a wallet i just want to buy a bitcoin you know these kind of questions suddenly um like came to us so we could see clearly that our customer group is going more and more mainstream and suddenly we have to explain things differently. We have to use different wording. Education and guidance gets way more important and so on. But also what we saw is um, that still, or even if you if you check the numbers out there, in, in most cryptocurrency platforms, that only like 10, 15, maximum 15% of the user base is female. And that's already like very ambitious. And usually the, the numbers I see are rather around 10%. And um, the reason for that is that also... Um, Male and female or women and men tend to have a slightly different investment behavior versus like men are more um, occasion driven or more spontaneous and more maybe emotions driven in their investments. Women, interestingly, uh, rather like, you know, they want to understand, they have a more strategic approach, they make a plan and then they execute on that. There's a lot of studies that um, women are very interested in research, a lot about cryptocurrencies and also the world of decentralized finance. However, something holds them back. And this is the feeling of like there's not um, enough education and guidance around it. And they would love to, to do it, but they have the feeling that entry is maybe um, yeah not very appealing to them. What we want to do is not like moving away from our current group, is rather on top of the current target group, um, become even more attractive uh, for a more diverse target group. And it's not just male and female, right? Um, it's also older people, because we also get a lot of requests now that older people that have maybe missed out during their 30s, 40s to actually build up wealth. And they also want to enter the world of like, you know, cryptocurrencies and be a part of it or very young people maybe that have never invested before. So they have like not even any kind of experience from, you know, more traditional ETF or stocks investments. So diversity for us really means to touch on like very, very diverse target groups. And this can go in like several directions.
0: So with Nuri, you are quite sure that you will be able to reach a more diverse customer group.
1: Yeah. I think what's very interesting is if you look into all the traditional financial platforms, I would go that far to say that 90% of them, and this is my own number that I don't make up, but um, I actually designed for a very male tech savvy, well earning target group. And you can see it because most of them are like very like designed, very technical, a lot of technical terms, dark blue, black, white, gray, like that kind of color schemes. And that is for a reason because there is like a there's this kind of psychological effects also when it comes to design, like which colors are attracting which target groups. And uh, this is something that we observed and uh, we think it's a shame because maybe from a business perspective that, that was supposed to make sense back in the days, but we also believe that, first of all, financial independence is a topic that's not only a male topic. It should be a diverse topic. It should be relevant for everyone, right? And second of all, it's Maybe back in the days the uh, the reason for that was often, yeah, but a more female target group they usually have less salaries, they don't have so much just um income and so on, but I think this is also changing, right and uh we also see that like women often stay at home when when you know they they get children and uh, then they miss out on their salaries and so on. I think all these things start slowly to change, and uh women do care indeed more about their um their finances because as you can see that If they don't, and then like couples split in an older age, that females are really suffering from not having like earnings or savings on the side. And I think right now we can see the effects of that massively. And there's like, you can read all about it in the newspaper. So that's why I think more and more women care about their finances. And I think we need to react to that. I don't want to call it a trend, but just situation
0: situation. As a follow-up question, are you not afraid uh, to lose the previous customers you had with Bitfala? Because for them, this could have been probably a huge surprise seeing Nuri.
1: You know, when you build products, in general, you do a lot of discovery and you do a lot of like check-ins on the way with existing customer, with new customers that you want to target. And this is what we did from the very beginning on, right? So we just started with a lot of like expert interviews, a lot of user insights. And then we had like four very extreme different directions. And then we already invited users, you know, get some feedback based on that. We narrowed it down. So we didn't start with this design right away, right? It was quite a process, even though we didn't have so much time, (laughs) frankly. But yeah, I mean, we we had a lot of users involved on the way. And that's why, I mean, you can never be sure, but that's basically how we reduce the risk that such a a launch is going to be a failure.
0: So the customer base will be a little bit more diverse, but what do you anticipate as the main driver for users to become customers at Nuri versus other banks out there in Europe that offer similar products and offering?
1: So what we're focusing on is really about combining the spending part and the wealth growing part. So we want to make um, growing your wealth as easy as spending your money, basically. And I think that's so far... There's not so much banks out there who currently are really combining that. On top of that, we also want to offer financial products that are truly um, providing a benefit for the customer, come with higher interest rates or higher interest-like returns to basically, yeah, offer financial innovation that cannot be found somewhere else. That's one part. But then on top of that, what we are focusing on um, is really on the more long-term growth of your wealth instead of short-term gambling. Because we can see a lot of new banks start to integrate um single stocks, single ETFs and so on in their platforms. We can see Robin Hood encouraging like youngsters to actually gamble with their little money that they have left aside. And this is something we really, really want to differentiate ourselves from because we believe if you target now a more mainstream target group, we have a lot of responsibility, right? Because these people maybe don't know what they're doing and that's why you need to think twice what you offer to your customers. One of our company values is mind your karma. And that's why whenever we launch something, we really want to be sure, like, would we offer that to our partners, to our mothers? And if we cannot clearly say yes, we shouldn't do, do offer that to a mainstream target group. Education and guidance is going to be very, very important for us as well, um, because we we know dealing with your financials can be very scary. Like it creates anxiety for people and they have the feeling it's already too late or they need a lot of money to start. And it's all about like, you know, educating um, your consumer about how do you build up wealth that you can start with like a small amount? And um, but also, is it better to invest a big amount and try to beat the market, which you will never do, uh, normally not do on a on a on a long term? But rather, how can you benefit from a cost average effect if you do that, for example, every month? And these are these little things that we just you know want to bring more into the product. We have an academy already. Um, there's a few things on the website, but it's just, to be honest, a really really small sneak peek into what's about to come. And this is today. And I think would be interesting
0: if we just run over and look into the future, like five years from now, what would you be very happy with the result? Like how would you love seeing Nuri in Germany and Europe? What would it stand for?
1: I would be very happy if we could say that we have a 50% female target group. And this doesn't mean that we lose our male customers. And we're really happy also to see the feedback from the existing, existing target group so far, but to just show that we get more women into building up their wealth as well. I would be very happy about that. And then also what from a product perspective is very important to us as well, that we um, make financial innovation accessible to everyone. So more people are basically invested in the world of decentralized finance, um, but also combined it with other um, financial investments. So we also believe still that like ETF like investments are very, very important. It's a, it's a mix of like, you know, investments, but also like new, new types of savings. And I think this is, this is what we would be very, very happy about.
0: Sounds very exciting and very promising. So fingers crossed for that. Now I, I would like, Christina, to speak a little bit about you and to focus about your story. Having such a vast experience in product, how do you find yourself today in the CEO's seat? And do you miss working closer with the product team?
1: So, um, yeah, as of today, I'm basically holding the CEO and the CPO title. <laughs> so I'm still, of course, working with the product team. But of course, I don't have that much time anymore. Are you more
0: like transitioning from the CPO to CEO?
1: I mean, we're looking for a, for a CPO, but we're not rushing it because we want to look for the for the perfect person right now. And that can really like raise the bar from where we are today. And yeah, brings a very, you know, specific profile that we do have the feeling can really yeah bring the product team to the next level. Most likely it's gonna take a little bit. <laughs> and uh, the great thing is that we have um you know also great leaders in the product team. So I have a great head of product, great head of design. And um yeah, we're still wor- working fairly close together. But yeah, I don't have so much time anymore. And I believe as a CEO in a perfect world, you're not taking so much decisions anymore. But you rather Make sure that you set up a really, really great leadership team and then you enable them. You create a situation where they can run autonomously as much as they can. Yeah. And I think this is this is the approach that I would like to have here to rather, you know, enable people have a good strategic framework so everyone knows where we are heading and why. And then people can take this as their direction and take it from there. But therefore, of course, you need, to, you need to hire really, really good leaders. You need to have good managers and good leaders at the same time and a great team. And I think that's why I still invest a lot of time in like hiring. So I'm rather invest more time in hiring the right people in because this gives me more time for like, you know, other stuff later on, because then you can rely on the people and can be sure to have the right talent in-house.
0: And how did you get yourself ready for the C-level roles? How do you equip yourself?
1: This is a very good question. I started to read all those books like The First 90 Days and so on. And it's, you know, there's quite nice advice, but I believe the most important preparation that I've done over the years is like investing in like myself in my own personal development, but also in the growth as me as a private person as well. And to make sure to set my own rules for success, what makes me happy or what what type of leader I want to be. And um, yeah, to just invest a lot of time in in reflections as well.
0: Since you mentioned you're at a very special time of your life, you're in this, so to speak, enlightenment period of your personal and professional development. Can you tell me what does it take to become a leader and not just a manager?
1: Yeah, I do have to say that often in the former companies I've been, I've seen a lot of managers. But the reason for that is that, in all those like you know, tech companies, it's often that these companies are growing very, very fast. And what's ultimately happening is the most senior person of a certain team, even everyone has maybe never worked somewhere else before, is being promoted to you know the leader of the team because this is the person who knows the area the most and you can rely on them. And you maybe often don't have the time to find the right leader for the team. And that's why a lot of people are gonna be promoted very, very fast into some positions because they're doing a great job in the field, but they maybe don't even have the time to grow into these positions like as a as a person, and I believe that if you don't invest enough time in yourself, first of all, getting to know yourself better, getting to know your strength, your weaknesses, your triggers, be honest to yourself, be honest about your weaknesses towards others as well. have this inner strength to do that even. I believe you will end up as a manager because you somehow lack the knowledge about yourself to a certain degree and if you don't even know yourself it's really really also hard to help others um because there's maybe some nuances that you even miss between the lines it's not only you know about the it's not only about the skills that people bring to work i think these days we see that soft skills are more important attitude is very important how to how you represent yourself in a meeting How did you,
0: Christina, for yourself, how did you foster this personal development? Like what are the maybe three things that you did that you really then understood and reflected upon yourself?
1: I think the most eye-opening moment for me was when I did the Gallup Strength Finder test. It's a test you can do it for, I don't know, 17 euro online and you get your top five strengths. And that was for me a really, really eye-opening moment. Um, What first of all are my five strengths? So the strengths are basically, if you're a right-hander, you can write with the right hand and it's very nice and very, very easy and very fast. And you have your left hand. And if you invest a lot of time into writing with the left hand, at some point you can write with the left hand, but it will never be as beautiful or as fast or as smooth like with your right hand. And this is what this idea of the strength finder is about, right? Figure out what your strengths are and this is your right hand. And don't invest so much time into things which are maybe your left hand, because yes, you can practice and practice, but you will never be as good as, you know, what the stuff that you're born for. And learning about those five strengths um, was for me very, very groundbreaking, because from that moment on, I didn't torture myself anymore for stuff that doesn't come natural to me, which I also had to do in my job. And sometimes you have to do things, but I just didn't focus so much on them.
0: If you could a little bit, like, open up, could you tell some of your strengths and maybe weaknesses, just so we have an idea of...
1: So my number one strength was indeed um, strategic. And this also, like, was explained, like, that you usually see the bigger picture and you can break it down into, like, different smaller pieces. And you usually tend to think in patterns. And you can structure very complex topics very quickly. So you see very clearly through and can see the parts of it. and. When I read through it, it suddenly gave me a vocabulary on what I'm good at. And suddenly now I know that you can just throw me literally in all topics I don't have a clue about, but I can, what I can do is like extract the big thing and then like break it down into maybe subtopics, start prioritizing them and so on. Like it brings a little bit clarity and structure and it doesn't matter actually what topic it is. You can also help others with their complex topics. One of the topics that obviously is my strength, which I felt really bad about is competition. Because, you know, in our world, competition means always like, ah, this is a competitive person, don't work with them, you know, because they're like, they're assholes and so on, you know. So it has a very negative connotation, so to say. And I grew up with older brothers, right? I mean, you have to competitive yeah. <laughs> if you want to have a piece of food at the end of the dinner. <laughs> but how they phrase it is that competition is also um, – So first of all, in order to figure out like where you stand, you have to, you know, do you have to have a scale somehow? So first of all, it's not only you against other people. It's just like, that's how you work. And that's why it's, for example, for me, good. If I set myself a goal and a structure and a success, so I can even measure myself against the goal that I set, which is in general good because you can also in in a team, then you can set OKRs, but also is very helpful that you bring in the competition for your team or for your company. And that's why it's not so much, it doesn't need to be competition between you and other people. Um, it can also be that you just do whatever you can to make your company successful or your team successful.
0: You're driven. I think it's not necessarily a bad thing if you're driven for your team and for the company.
1: Exactly. And I think, again, you know, if you're aware of those topics that you have those tendencies, you can be even extra careful. How do you treat your colleagues? How, what can you do to actually even speak about it with your colleagues? So it. They don't perceive you as competitive, but if you're opening yourself up that, look, this is one of my traits, um, if you ever have the feeling, then please come to me and speak, then you suddenly can have a conversation. And this, again, drives um, closeness with your colleagues. So suddenly, if you know that stuff about yourself, you can speak with your colleagues about it. Suddenly, they open up. And then also some people say, like, oh, but do you speak about that? Like. Do you speak about such things? And I'm like, I don't even see a problem like, you know, opening up about those topics because I believe if we as colleagues or as leaders are speaking with our colleagues, with our employees about that stuff, it creates, yeah, more honest and more transparent atmosphere and also to certainly create a safe space that everyone can speak about their their weaknesses and their strengths. And then you can also buy the last, I don't know, overall, these are 34 dimensions. You get the top five. And if you pay, I don't know, 20, 30 euros more, you can get all the 34 of them. So you can see the top, the least five. And for me, for example, the the, the least one is harmony. Oh. <laughs> it's very interesting. But I, I also do understand where this is coming from, because sometimes when I'm in a meeting, it's like I can shift in my brain or I can, <laughs> I, I can shift from, let's say, the personal com- communication to just the thing itself, like the topic we're discussing. And in this moment... It's for me not so much anymore. Do I hurt anyone's feelings here in the room? It's more about like, oh, but here's maybe a mistake or maybe this is not good enough yet. And then I can say that in a very neutral way. And then a lot of people are usually like, Christina, you cannot say that like that. I mean, this person was in the room. And I was like, but I didn't say anything bad. I was just saying like, I think we can do better here, you know? But in this moment, at Zalando, we had a a head of HR. She was a coach for that, actually. And she explained to me, she was like, in this moment, it's just you can switch from the very neutral evaluation of a thing and just ignore the whole feelings in the room. And a lot of people usually rather tend to not give feedback or not say anything because they have the feeling they would affect the harmony in the room. And this is something that I don't necessarily pay attention on. my My second strength, by the way, is empathy. So I think if I want, I can feel it, but I also can just reject that in the moment if it's about the certain topic. And I think... Once you learn about all that stuff, you can use it and you can pay attention. You are aware. And you can reflect and understand yourself better. I think it's even best for the harmony
0: of also other people. You know, look, I'm lacking at this. I'm very sorry, (laughs) just, just in advance. And as a leader, then you did all those personal development exercises and trainings. What kind of leader you are? What was your conclusion?
1: Yeah, I spent a really, really long time to like figuring a lot of that stuff out myself. I went on a sabbatical. I went on a like... 10 days meditation retreat in silence. And these are all moments where you really get to the core of yourself. And afterwards, like, there's not a lot of things that can get to you anymore because you know yourself so well. And, like, even when people judge you and so on, like, I think you have to always take this with a little bit of humor then. Because at some point now when some people start judging me and I receive that still often that people tell me you should do it this way and this is what you should not say and so on. We just talked about it earlier. I just, you know, take it with a little bit of humor because when I see it now, when people judge me, it's more about them than it's about me usually. And even if I judge others, I know I see maybe something in them that annoys me about myself. So as a leader, I try, I really, really like Kim Scott's approach called radical candor because she's very honest. Um, And the whole concept is about that you're very direct and honest to your people But in order to do that and that it doesn't sound like passive aggressive, you need to have a very close relationship with the people that you can give that direct feedback. And this is something I think also everyone who has worked with me knows that I'm super, super direct because often I also don't have a lot of time. It's not disrespectful or something, but it's just very clear. Like I don't put it in like thousands of words, but it just say, hey, in this moment, I think maybe you could have, or maybe next time you could do this and this and this. But I just say it. Right. Um, and but I also it's very important for me that like everyone who works for me can come to me and can challenge me as well. So I have a lot of colleagues that come to me or send me Slack messages and said, like, I don't agree with this or um, I would like to do that. We do it that way. And then we have a conversation about it, because for me, it's important. I don't expect everyone agreeing with decisions that I take, but it's important for me that people understand why we take them.
0: And this is possible because you have a very close, oftentimes personal relationship with those people, that there is this two-way feedback.
1: Yes, exactly. So also when I transitioned into the CEO role, you know, I'm only at Nuri um, since September and we were already in lockdown. So I I haven't had the chance until now to really meet everyone in the company in person, right? I met most of them through, you know, Google Hangouts or like in larger meetings and so on, but I haven't spoken to every single person. And that's why, for example, I also offered everyone to just like, you know, book a 15 minutes coffee chat with me.
0: How many employees
1: are there? Uh, So right now we're like around 110 or something like that. Whole week of meetings. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, obviously not everyone did. I mean, to be honest, um, I think with most, I somehow also had touch points along the way. But um, a lot of people did that and uh, that made me actually very happy because, you know, I'm really interested in like understanding what people think of this change, what are their concerns, what are their fears. But often it's also just, oh, interesting, you're from France, I lived in France too, you know, to having these kind of conversations. Or like with one colleague, <laughs> we we even talked about like, you know, spiritual stuff like singing kirtan and stuff like that, you know? And this is really, really nice because your employees become real people. And I also want them to understand that I'm not a robot. I'm also human being, you know, and I also take a day of vacation and I'm also happy if I don't have to take three meetings in this day because I also enjoy, you know, hanging at the beach and don't do anything, you know. And I think this mutual understanding that I'm not a robot, but um, they're also human beings and like we all want to understand what we're doing here. Why we do, do we have to drive change? Why are we growing so much? What happens now to me if suddenly 500 people are here, you know? I think it's important to 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 keep that conversation. And also, I think it's important to keep a good culture because we have a really, really... This is the best working culture I've ever been to. Also, you see it in the cluster reviews, but also these engagement surveys. I literally never saw such an engagement survey results. To be fair, we're still a fairly small company. But I do believe by really listening and like taking the feedback from, from our employees seriously and reacting to that as well, answering the questions that are popping up, I think it's just very important and yeah, to treat each other with mutual respect.
0: If you would say there will be one learning this year you would like to focus on, what would it be?
1: I think what I learned this year is if you're in the spot that you're supposed to be, then suddenly everything falls into place. And this sounds a little bit ridiculous to say that after, after two months, but on the other side, we're preparing this, I mean, for, for a way longer period. I do have the feeling that I'm still, you know, when you want to hire someone or when you have planned something, of course, I'm still have a lot of respect, like, does it work out or does it not work out? Like this person rejected us. But in the end, everything, it was like a magic hand. (laughs) It's just bringing everything together. And even the people who rejected our offer, I usually said, look, if it's, if your gut tells you it's not the right spot for you, then I do respect that. But I usually tell people sleep about it another few days. And if you don't have the feeling, you just come back and like, you know, and most of them actually have accepted it later on. Oh, wow. And uh, that was a very interesting moment for me. And the second thing is really that even with, you know, the whole Nuri relaunch and so on, I mean, we did a lot of discovery and so on, but it's not my first relaunch that I did. We did that in Zalando. We did a big relaunch of the home screen and then 26 and so on. But by far, this has been the most positively received thing, you know, and I think you just have to trust, and I'm also having sometimes a hard time with that because you know we're so trained to always think of like the bad scenarios. I mean, as managers or like I also did management consulting before. You know, you learn to think in those scenarios and normally focus so much on the worst case (laughs) because you're so you're prepared. And through all the spiritual work that I'm doing as well, you know, you learn how to trust. But in my professional world, it's like some sometimes when I expect the worst. It's like an inner voice telling me, Christina, don't you still understand it? It's going to be okay. And the right people will just now come and you will find them if you just trust. And you, if you don't start to, to react out of fear, because I mean, this is my life cradle. You can either react out of fear or out of love and hope and trust. And even though I have to remind me every day, don't act out of fear. And this comes with like, you know, investment decisions. This comes with, do I now see oh, our numbers drop by a week? Do I have to panic and like react? Or do I say, yeah, that's how it goes. And we have the long-term goal. And this is what we focus on now. Because if you constantly react to like short-term stuff that's happening around you, and this can be related to people, this can be related to your investors, this can be related to your business. If you react to short-term happenings, this will fail in the long run. You need to learn to have like a long-term goal or vision and this is, this is your direction and you have to focus and ignore the rest. And uh, it's sometimes hard because then, you know, you're on social media and then like, you know, you see here and there those comments. But I also just started to to a certain degree. Also, um, you have to read it. You have to see if there's something that's meaningful to you where you can really change something. Um, sometimes there is indeed, but there's also a lot of noise, a lot of like noise. <laughs> and you have to learn to just ignore it and take it a little bit with a smile. This is
0: really amazing how honest and transparent you are. And I think I really appreciate this. I'm sure everyone listening to this episode really appreciate how you a very, you know, sought after digital leader in Germany, CEO of Nuri, and with so much experience being, you know, not speaking about that perfect world, but saying that, yes, you also have certain fears. You're also sometimes not 100% sure about things. And as you said, it's more about just the skill set. It's also sometimes trusting your guts, it's trusting yourself, trusting your strengths, understanding the people, finding time to make connection. And a lot of people forget because they're so focused on their career, they're so focused on that perfect image that surrounds them that they tend to dismiss this. And I think you're right, at some point of their career, they're just like, what is wrong, but maybe they're just in the wrong shoes because they were always pushing for the person, which is not truly them. And what you were saying is like, you know, make sure just to stop and reflect and always focus on your personal development, your personality development. And that's how you will be at the right place with the right people creating great things. So that's amazing that you're saying all of this.
1: Yeah. And I think this is, you know, what's just sustainable because, we will change jobs, you know, we will change positions and... But we're still... What we always carry with us is ourselves. And if you don't get along with that person or like if this is not the real you, I think you will become very unhappy at some point. And um, also you're, you're just becoming a target <laughs> of all this negativity, like, or, you know, the judgments around you, because there will be always people that judge you in those positions. If you're like in a C-level position... You will be constantly judged, and I rather go out there and said, "Guys, I'm a I'm a human being too. I also need sleep." And honestly, yes, we had a very like clamorous launch week. But actually, if you see my kitchen, it's just full with like gorilla bags, flank bags, vault orders, and I look like a per- like my kitchen looks like a person that doesn't have her life under control because I just didn't have the time for you know cook and like you know this week at least. And I think you know this is also uh, sometimes I'm. I'm I'm also joking about that stuff because we're also just normal people and I think some sometimes people put you on such a podest because they everyone wants to see what they want to see and you don't you cannot influence that. Some people like they put you on a throne and think, oh my god, this is the most perfect person and I'm like, no, I'm not. <laughs> just a human being that gets up in the morning. And, and and some people, they just want to judge you because they cannot understand why you are in this position. Why is this person there? Like, she doesn't even have X, Y of that years of experience as a CEO. Like, why is this person, like, she only has been a CPO for like a month and so on. She's not even coming from the crypto field. Like, what does she even want there? And, I, you know, I also get a lot of that judgment. But the reason why I'm there and maybe a person who has been in the crypto scene for 10 years or like 10 years, a don't know, manager or something like that, is not there (laughs) is not there (laughs) is maybe (laughs) because there's lacking something else, you know, and this is what I just want to make very visible. A lot of people just focus so much on like skills and reading and they're unaware, like what's going on in the media, this company does this, there's this trend and so on. But they somehow forget that there's more to leadership than pure knowledge and like knowing a lot of books by, by heart, you know, it's more to that. And it's more about that. You can (laughs) lead through a crisis or, that suddenly when a lot of things go wrong, that you're still there and bring positive energy to your team because this is what they need in this moment. And the last thing people need, especially in those stressful moments, is if you go to them and tell them it's still not enough, you're not enough. Like, what is this? Like the team worked every weekend, day and night to get something done and the only thing you do is like, oh, but what about this? You know what? It's not great. Actually, I think you should have done better. Or like, you know, complaining about stuff. You need to appreciate also the great work that your team is doing. And you have to do it in a way that they can see it's authentic. Because sometimes (laughs) I also experienced that in in, in my past, you know, if you don't have a lot of time and you just tell them, thank you, but you don't mean it, they can also feel it. That's why you need to really concentrate. And I think this is to a certain degree, it's meditation really helps here because I still believe that the energy you send, that, that it arrives at people. You can say whatever you want, but There are words and they can be empty or they're full of energy and people feel it in the end.
0: This is amazing learnings, Christina. And I think you're such an inspirational leader. And I think everyone listening like, okay, how can I apply it, Nuri? (laughs) How can I work with Christina today? And, And before we wrap our conversation, the question that I always ask my guests is about your woman role model. And who is your Christina woman author of Achievement?
1: I think it's for me, Tara Bragg, and she's an American Buddhist and psychotherapist. And she wrote an amazing book called Radical Acceptance, or Radical Self-Acceptance. In German, it has a really weird title. It's something like With the Heart of a Buddha, <laughs> but it's all about like literally radical self-acceptance. And it's all about like, you know, we all have fears, but it's all about like, how do you accept yourself as a person? How do you accept your failures? How you accept your fears and learn how to live with it? And now if you, if we go back to leadership, I think this is what it takes, right? You need to accept yourself as a whole person because only then you can accept your people and you maybe your line managers or like the people below you that lead the other people. And you need to learn also to let go. Now, when I hire a CPO, I need to let go of the thing that I really most care about, product, you know? And I know I, I have to let go and it's it's great if you hire the right person. But it's also about like people do things differently than you would do it. And it's fine. But it's also a process, you need to learn it. But it's also, you know, we're all leaders. I mean, if you do such a big launch than we did this week, I can tell you there were a lot of <laughs> sleepless nights involved. You can do as much as user tests as you want, but you still like everyone is like, Oh my God, and Hopefully this goes successfully and so on. And uh, you need to learn how to deal with it and accept it. And I think if you accept yourself, you can accept others. And I think this is one of the essence of a good leader. Thank you so much,
0: Christina, on coming to the studio and sharing your story and speaking about leadership from your heart. And again, congratulations on the successful launch. I really hope now you get full rest (laughs) after this. And I'm wishing you a really great day.
1: Thank you so much, Daria, for this very, very beautiful interview
0: thank you for joining us today you can subscribe to the show on apple Podcasts, spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts and please don't forget to leave us a review we're always excited to read them if you want to interact with us the guests or the podcast listeners then head over to our instagram page at waa_berlin. and while you're there make sure to check our webshop thank you again for listening and we're looking forward to being back soon